what if your favorite store, like your mom and pop local corner place, just like gave it all up and went to YouTube? Like, what would that look like? Well, this episode talks about that. Welcome to the Women of YouTube podcast. This podcast is hosted by me, Desiree Martins. Every week, I'm going to be showing up in your earbuds to inspire you on your YouTube journey with killer interviews with women YouTube creators, deep dives into the inner workings of how YouTube works, and discussing all the things about YouTube culture and the impact it is having on our world. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with vidIQ, where they help you maximize your videos to YouTube reach by studying titles, description, tags, and playlists relevant to your subject matter, while also studying your competitors to help you know exactly what you should be doing for your YouTube growth. So if you're a female creator looking to grow your channel, level up your content, and learn from the best women creators on the platform to get you on your way to YouTube success and future-proofing your income, this is the perfect place for you. Let's do this. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the episode of the Women of YouTube podcast. I am pumped to be with you today because I am talking with the fantastic Nancy Queen about her journey from owning a local knitting store to transitioning to a 30,000 plus monthly viewership to her blog and growing YouTube channel where she is just making an amazing community of knitters who just love what they're doing and just looking to come together around this love and this bond that she's bringing with them. I had the honor of meeting Nancy at VidSummit and she's just one of those amazingly wonderful people that's just like always down to learn, always down to try, is insanely positive and I just wanted to just like her energy and her nest to like rub off on me as someone who's just got a whole lot happening in her brain all of the time. I think you're going to really love this conversation because she goes into the details of how she got started, what her journey was like, and then of course what advice and tips she has to help help you all with getting on your journey so that you can be the creators that you want to be and be making that money that you want to be creating. So without further ado, here is that conversation. I am so excited that we get to chat today, Nancy. I think we're going to change some lives today. I think it's I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Nancy, why YouTube? Um, Well, you know, what's funny, Desiree, I did not start out as a YouTuber. Um, I just, uh, I had brick and mortar stores and I used to sell wholesale. I'm in the knitting niche, as you can see here and, um, you know, crafting. So it never really occurred to me. And then years ago, and, and I've always thought of it as kind of like a men's space, but then years ago I saw these, this family of homeschoolers and I've never told anyone this story before, but they were doing braided hair. And they were talking about how they were making a living. It was like mostly girls in the family. And they were saying how they actually were making a living doing YouTube. And I'm like, what? Braiding hair? Like just showing different hairstyles that you could do with their long, pretty hair. And uh, I'm like, wow. Okay, if they can do that, maybe I need to start incorporating some YouTube into my business. And I just started, you know, I had the brick and mortar yarn store and I started incorporating YouTube videos as a way to help sell products because they would resonate so much better. People don't know what an interchangeable knitting needle set is, but if you show them what it is on camera and how it works, all of a sudden you realize it's a game changer for your knitting life. So that's really what got me into it, but that's not where I got 
that's not where I am today at all with YouTube. Okay. So let's then talk about the journey. So I want to dive deeper into this brick and mortar, like starting story. So what was your brick and mortar store and why did you decide to close it and transition into online? Well, I never even went out to start a brick and mortar store. I, it started 20, almost 22 years ago. My daughter will be 21, uh, 22 next week. And I started my business uh, when she was a baby and I thought I was going to be a stay at home mom. I used to, my background is fashion. I worked for Saks Fifth Avenue, Lord and Taylor. I worked for the largest sweater mill in the country. And I used to do all the specs for the mill. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, uh, I decided I wanted to start knitting and crocheting things for her. So I really got into it and I really loved the whole process and I knew how to do the design work coming from the sweater manufacturing end of things, but I didn't actually know how to knit the mm -hmm. products. So I got into it, fell in love with it, and I started selling my designs. I had about six designs and I sat there, I'm really going to date myself, with a CD-ROM of the Yellow Pages and would sit there on my computer with my CD-ROM going through looking for yarn stores and then I'd send them mailers and that's how I started building up a wholesale following. I'd sell my patterns to stores across the country yeah. and within just a few months, I was thinking, wow, it would be really neat to write a book, but I don't know who to call. And I took out an ad from um, in the back of Vogue Knitting for um, with, with a little picture of my daughter wearing a little crocheted hat. And I got a call a couple months later from a publisher saying, would you like to write a book? I'm like, yes, I, I wanted to. I didn't know who to call. And they called <laughs> me. So like things aligned. And then I was at a neighborhood picnic a couple weeks later, and I met this guy who was a neighbor who positions products for QVC. And mm -hmm. he heard my story and the needs of knitters and crocheters. And he's like, you have a great story and a great product for QVC. Let's present it to them and build something. And at the time, I mean, it took almost a year to get on QVC and go through that whole process. But mm -hmm. at the time, it was about $120,000 worth of product that you had to have into the warehouse of QVC weeks before you even went on. So we started warehousing these yarns and kits that we put together so that we could take them and send them into QVC. And around that time, I started having so much going on. I took on a business partner and he handles all the operations and accountings, accounting and things that I really am not that good at. So yeah. um, he said, you know, we have so much yarn and you've been selling your kits online and selling your kits to wholesale. Why don't we open a yarn store? Well, my background was retail. Yes, let's do, let's do a store. So we opened a store and that just kept growing and I didn't start with very much, but the, um, the, response was great and I actually outgrew that space in a year and moved to almost more than double the space and then my sister um, was in California I, I lived in Pennsylvania at the time and my sister was in Southern California and she's she I was like would you like to open a yarn store 
So we had Noblenets East and Noblenets West that she ran. And we did that for, let's see, probably seven or eight years on the, on the East Coast side and five years on the um, West Coast side. So um, loved having the brick and mortar store. It's a lot of work. A lot of people get into stores thinking, especially knitting stores, uh-huh. thinking, oh, I'm going to just sit around and knit and it's just, I'm going to have my friends in and we're going to have a great time just knitting. And you you have no time to knit when you have a store, but <laughs> it's kind of like being on social media. Like, why isn't your social media? I'm like, I'm I'm busy doing like or being a YouTuber. Why don't I have all of these? Like, right. people ask me, why isn't I'm a YouTube podcast on YouTube? I'm like, because I already have a YouTube channel and a business. Like, I don't know if I can dig on another one. Yeah, like, I'm wearing someone else's sweater because I have no time to knit sweaters for myself. <laughs> you know, right. <clears throat> But um, so we had the stores and then my husband ended up getting a job in California in the San Francisco Bay area in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I can't run this store from 3000 miles away. Just it's not going to work. And we had had some floods in the West Coast store and we're like, you know what? Let's just take everything back in house. We moved to a warehouse um, it was almost 5,000 square feet and we had a loading dock and employees and overhead and everything else that you would see in, you know, a warehouse or running of a store. Um, but you would not believe this was about 15, 16 years ago that we went totally online. The pushback I got from my industry, not wanting to actually sell to me because I was online only. They thought I was like working out of my garage or there were, I guess there were a lot of people in the industry that were like just trying to sell out of their garages. Uh And they were like, no, you're undercutting the yarn store. And I I totally get it. However, I had all the same expenses and then some that yarn store would have. So it was a big change. And I really had to fight for the ability to sell online as an online retailer. Uh Um, in it was really in its infancy at the time. <clears throat> so that was a transition. And I did that for, I guess that was another 12 years that I had that, uh, the online only store. And then, um, you know, Facebook wasn't really a thing. Twitter was maybe around, there was no Instagram, no TikTok, no Pinterest, none of that. When I went online only. And my blog was really, my blog and my email list were really my main ways to be in touch with my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you would use your blog to give news. You know what I mean? The way we use yeah. Instagram or Twitter or things like that today. Um, so really it was a big change uh, to reach that online customer, but I, I really love reaching an online customer and, and seeing how I can, what I can try next to help them. Okay. Help them grow. So let's talk about what your transition online. So online, you've closed down your store because I'm yeah. easier than all of the overhead and craziness that comes with having a store plus the overhead alone. So you yeah. transitioned online and then while you've been online using your blog to connect and grow, 
when and how did YouTube become a part of this? So I had had YouTube, I think I've been with YouTube since like 2007. But uh, when I decided to close the store, the online store, um, I thought, okay, you know what, I'm really going to refocus my attention on my blog and on YouTube, because that's where I think things are going. So I, um, at the time, I had about 6,000 monthly visitors on my blog. Mm -hmm. And with two years of uh, actually more of a year and a half of really solid focusing on that customer, I grew it to 300,000 monthly visitors. Wonderful. And this fall, we're expected to have 500,000 monthly visitors. So the growth is possible. And from someone, even though I was in business, I really had to pivot and start new. And I, I took down a ton of content. And I had about, I don't know, 3,000 uh, viewers, uh, 3,000 followers on YouTube at the time. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to change my content. I deleted a lot of YouTube content that was really focused on product only, like uh, almost 100 videos I deleted, which I didn't know if that would really hurt things, but I didn't feel like they were benefiting anybody. And really tried to focus on changing my content up to um, the same type of content that you would have on the blog that would you know, help them with what they were looking for. And I felt like I was just throwing things at the wall. And I took a course. And while I was taking this course, um, I felt like they weren't really, the course wasn't really helping me. But uh, mm -hmm. this was in like December, January, January of this year. And it wasn't really doing what I needed. Okay. And then I happened to fall into a Daryl Eves 30-day um, YouTube free thing that you could do on, you know, follow along on YouTube. He would send you emails with ideas. I learned more on that free thing from Daryl than I had in this expensive paid course that I was taking. And then he happened to say, well, I'm very expensive if you wanted to talk to me one-on-one. -on -one. I'm like, well that's a challenge. I'm going to take him up on that. And I did a one-on-one -on -one call. And after that, the tweaks he gave me in that one hour call, it was like eye-opening mm -hmm. changes for my business. And then I joined his group called Channel Jumpstart, which since I joined, I have had, I had about 17,000 um, followers on YouTube in the beginning of the year since uh, that was in April. And mm -hmm. now I have uh, 36,000 followers. So it's doubled my channel, um, really made growth that I wanted to do. And that was really my focus this year was to make YouTube something that is viable and really grow the channel. Well, that's a, that's a crazy journey. Okay. So what was like the biggest piece of advice you got from your time with Daryl that really you think was like the reason it turned around for you? Well, I'm in that crafting space. So I thought that everything that I did had to be like me hands down, showing them exactly, you know, head down, showing them exactly what the, what to knit. And those videos do well. 
they do really well. They get uh, over, always over 100,000 views when I do some sort of easy shawl or tutorial. In fact, I'm going live with a, a knit along this afternoon showing people how to knit a totally different shawl today. <laughs> and um, But what he said is, you need to get your head up and look at the camera and talk to people and and connect with them on things that they're going to care about other mm -hmm. than, you know, anybody can teach somebody how to do something, but you have so much more information that you can provide. You had a yarn story, you have stories, get your head up and start talking. And I've been doing that and it's been making a big difference. And really my comments section is bonkers. Like it takes me hours to go through my comments section every week. And I like to respond to every single person. And, um, I think it's really important, especially in a women focused business that they know that they have a voice and that someone is acknowledging them and hearing them and cheering them on. So, I mean, I guess everyone wants to hear that, but you know, there's a lot of women that are home alone. I have a very, um, I have a much older demographic and I know there's a lot of women that maybe lost their husbands or, you know, they're empty nesters and they may have had a very busy life and now they're knitting for their kids and, you know, just connecting with them is very important. The mm -hmm. other thing that Daryl told me about is consistency. And mm -hmm. I notice that when I am consistent, it makes a huge difference in the YouTube algorithm. And so what did you learn about consistency? So I think that this is one of those like weird like easy words that people will say like, oh, well, if you want to do, have success on YouTube, you need to be consistent. Well, what does yeah. consistent mean? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, uh, when we were at Vid Summit, I went to hear Mark Rober, the, um, the uh, glitter bomb guy. He uh -huh. the former NASA engineer who created that glitter bomb when somebody yes. stole packages from him. Well, one of the things that they talked about with him was that... Um, you only do videos once a month. How's that consistent? Is that often enough? And he said, listen, I need to go at a level that I can work in. Sometimes my videos take me a year to do because I'm like creating this, engineering this glitter bomb or tracking squirrels for a year of filming. So I can only do once a month, but the algorithm knows that it's going to get a video from him once a month and it goes bonkers every time he puts out a video. So whatever is consistent for you. So if you say, I'm going to do once a week or three times a week or once every other week, whatever you decide is your consistence, consistency, that's what you should stick with. And then your audience knows to, to come back for that as well. So talk to us about the kind of content that you're making now. So you were doing these like head down you know, knitting tutorials, I'm yeah. guessing also like, uh, you know, other kinds of things with yarn and talking about all these different things. What are you leaning into more now that you're trying to be more successful that we could learn from? Well, I found that like the top tens are really top fives of, and there's so many nuances to knitting, you know, there's actually 200 different ways to cast on, which means how to get the yarn on the needles. There's 200 ways to do that. Like oh you can just keep learning and keep learning. But um, they like knowing the little intricacies and tips that you might not think of, um, mm -hmm. like five mistakes shawl knitters make or um, five things 
advanced knitters do that beginners don't know. Okay. Um, so those things have been really resonating well. Uh, one of my best videos that I did it, and has gotten by far, it's still getting tons of comments and I have to do a couple roundup videos is a video on tools that I don't use. So okay. what happens when people start knitting, they'll get, a, they might buy a little kit that has, uh, it might have some knitting needles and a few little notions in it. And you think, okay, that's everything I'm going to need to knit. But guess what? Nobody uses those tools. They really are usually pretty lousy and, and there's so many better options. So I did a video on five tools I never use and the ones that I do. And the biggest thing that I discovered was people just wanted to be able to say what they use or whether they agree with me or not, um, or what tips have helped them. So now I'm going to go through all that content. And I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of comments on that one. I'm going to go through all that comment content and create new videos on here's what you here's tips from you to help share that just like you're doing today is sharing their content with other knitters in their niche. I love that. I think that that's so important and helpful. I love your list idea. I think that you should take on the challenge of like a video of all 200 ways. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> it might be a long video. Just like a short series. So it's like all these just different shorts. One, two, three, 200 days of just... <laughs> On Rebby, I think that'd be a funny challenge. I don't think, you, I don't know, maybe you can find like an intern to do it for yeah, you. Yeah, that's a good idea. So <laughs> there is another thing that I did recently because um, one of the downsides of the pandemic was that, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. And believe it or not, knitting is a very social hobby. Uh -huh. And there's a lot of knitting groups that meet up or like a lot of libraries will host little knitting clubs where these women will get together. I'm in a knitting group. I just met with about 20 women on Tuesday night. We meet down, I'm in Southern California. We meet uh, about an hour away at a brew pub mm -hmm. and everybody orders their dinner. It's about two hours. We sit and knit and share. We talk about what like life in general. We've gotten to know each other, um, what we're working on, different yarns that we like gossip in the industry. It's so it's a lot of fun. Um, however, a lot of that has gone away because of the pandemic. And people were really left knitting alone, feeling lonely, nobody to show it to, they couldn't even go into their local yarn store and say, Oh, look what I made. So um, I decided to just I thought, you know what, let me ask them to just send me a picture. What's your favorite project you knitted over the past year? Mm hmm. And just send it in to me. And I thought I might get like 20 or 30. I got over 400 photos of what women are knitting. And I'm like, okay, I have to share every single one of these. They all deserve to be shown off. And so what I, I was overwhelmed for a few days because I'm like, I have no idea what to do with all this content. But then what I did was I broke it down by category. And like every month or two, I've been picking a different category. And I just did Afghans and I had like 30 different Afghans that women have made over the past year. And just, they, they tell me what their favorite thing about knitting it was. I share that with the group. Um, it's funny because sometimes you'll get the exact same project, 
Like there was this stay-at-home blanket that's all these little interlocking houses. And I had a whole bunch of people all make the exact same blanket, the stay-at-home blanket. And um, seeing how they photographed it and what they loved about it and how they tweaked it by maybe changing colors or design elements to make it their own. That is the kind of stuff that I love. I think my audience really loves to see that. Um, they don't get tired of it. They can sit and knit while they're, while they're watching these videos. And um, that's, that's the kind of stuff I like to talk about and I think resonates with them. So good. I love that you. So what did you do with all those photos? Did you make a video about it? Did you post? So I've been breaking, I've been breaking it down. So I'll do like, I just did one where it was all Afghans. Okay. And then I showed the, their Afghan, I put their name on it. I read what they, when I had them submit, I said, tell me why this was your favorite project. And then they tell me sometimes they have long stories. Sometimes it's just like, I love the colors. I love the yarn. Uh, you know, something really simple um, or, you know, that they made this for somebody who was sick and it really helped them or somebody that they missed and they got to think about them every, every stitch. So I've been breaking those out. I've done like baby blankets and sweaters and we've got a Christmas one coming up. So yeah, lots of great content. What do you think it is about involving your community that helps you grow your community? Well, not only does it give them the opportunity to have a voice, it lets them know that somebody's acknowledging them mm -hmm. and um, somebody understands what they're doing and then they can get to connect with others. Like I'll even see conversations in there um, and we have a private Facebook group where they'll post their projects and same kind of thing where they just are able to connect with one another and, and take the conversation even farther than what I could do with it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about business and specifically money and things like that. So you have this vast amount of experience. And I think that what a lot of new creators or even just brick and mortar business owners have learned, especially from COVID and post COVID, how important diversifying services through the internet and finding more ways to intertwine the internet as a part of their, their income stream. What I love yeah. about what you've done is like you had made the decision, you cut off the store, you now have like this online blog site and you've added in the YouTube piece to it and stuff like that. What has that done for you from your business perspective? Like how has that affected your income what is that? What, just talk us through what that's all about. Well, it, it, I truly went from making income to boom, nothing, absolutely nothing. I wasn't monetized in any way. I didn't, didn't have a monetized blog. So that was the first thing is I started monetizing my blog. Um, I learned about affiliates and affiliate links and I started partnering up with there's yarn companies. So if I'm on my blog or even like in my, on YouTube, I'll provide links so that if somebody likes the materials that I'm showing, uh -huh. here's links to where they can go get those products and I get a small commission from them at no cost. So doing that and turning on the monetization on my YouTube channel, um, I haven't done too much on brand deals, but that's something that I plan on working on more this year. Um, I've done a couple, uh -huh. uh, but not too much. I just... I don't know. 
I, I need to wrap my head around more of that. And I learned a lot at Vid Summit on, on brand deals. And that's something I want to focus on more this coming year for 2022. So my big monetization is um, the advertising on my blog, the affiliate links, and the YouTube advertising. And then I, the biggest game changer for me is I started selling online courses. Okay. And um, I started selling those a year ago. And I'll be honest with you, I did 10, I created 10 different online courses last year. I was a maniac. I was just like, okay, this is awesome. And they would, I'd send it out to my email newsletter, my email list, and it would do about $5,000 and then really nothing would totally fizzle out. I'm like, okay, well, this was a lot of work for $5,000. I don't know what I'm going to, maybe these online courses aren't for me. <laughs> and I was at a, um, I ended up meeting somebody through my channel, Jumpstart and YouTube, through YouTube connections. I ended up meeting this guy who um, had uh, helped out his aunt during the pandemic because she was a teacher in a different craft industry. And she used to go around the country and teach lessons and go to live events and teach lessons. And with the pandemic, that all shut down and it shut down her income. So he got her to teach courses and he helped her launch her courses and they were very lucrative. And these people that I met said, you might want to talk to this guy. So we connected and we've been working together ever since uh, for the past, I don't know, four or five months. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just did my last one and it did almost 20,000 relaunching the exact same course that only did uh, less than 5,000 the last time I launched it. So he really helped me make changes and tweaks to reaching an audience and, and how to send the drip campaigns and really connect with them to, um, to make it successful. So cool. And so much growth and, and things and like, Ah, I just love that you're a student and like this, this, this proving this theory that like if the way it's always done is what works. And like I said, the fact that you've transitioned so much, you've changed so much, you're still making, you found a way to make revenue and do all of these like really smart things by transitioning and adapting and changing a lot due to your lifestyle and a lot due to what's right for the industry to help bring people together and impact more people. Yeah. It's like, this is what we're doing this for. Like, this is what YouTube is about. It's about finding ways to connect and grow and build businesses. And I just love that you're doing it. Look, I'm really sorry to interrupt, but did you know that YouTube is the world's second biggest search engine? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but that's why every creator truly needs to be using vidIQ to grow their YouTube channel. vidIQ's tech helps you tailor your video ideas to match what people are searching for right now on YouTube. And once you're ready to upload, well, it starts optimizing and getting you all the details that you need to make sure your videos are getting noticed. If you really want to dive in more and get started for free, please head over to the womenofyoutube.com forward slash vidIQ to get started on this YouTube channel changing tool that's going to make things so much easier for you. All right, let's get back to it. So for our up and coming creators, for those that are considering it, what advice do you have to them to get started? Um, just go for it. I mean, really, that is the biggest push 
for all of us. Um, no, even me having had all of this experience, done all of these things, when I made that mental change that I was going to start doing YouTube for YouTube specific content, I was scared and I, mm. it took me a lot. Like, what do they want to hear from me? Because when you're hiding behind whatever your content is that you're, you know, you could be pushing a product. Well, it's a lot easier to hide behind this and talk about the benefits and then that's it. Other than, wait, this is me putting myself out here now. And what am I going to bring this audience that I'm talking about other than a, a shawl that I'm here, here's how to knit it. So that was the biggest hurdle was, is to just push yourself and you're not going to like it in the beginning. You know, when I look back at my old videos, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, what was I doing? I actually had my first one. I had a phone sitting in a bookshelf cubby. So you get like the closeness of the bookshelf. <laughs> I had it like leaned against the very back of the bookshelf and mm -hmm. I'm like talking into the bookshelf. It's crazy. But now you, you just Shut keep up. tweaking a little bit at a time. You keep learning different things as you grow and it will evolve just like you evolve. And you just have to keep pushing forward. And you're not really speaking to a whole lot of people in the beginning. So it takes a while to, to, build up an audience and for you to get your groove on. But we've all been there. Every single one of us has had that scary moment and yeah. hurdles to overcome and, you know, find a group like this where you can ask questions. Uh, all right. I always like to do this and I always like to ask people some questions and I kind of get them on their toes and get them up. So well, we're going to talk about a little rapid fire to help people okay. who are on this journey answer stuff. So what is it that you film with? Okay. I, I have a really beautiful camera that my husband bought me last year. It's like one of those mirrorless new, I think I've used it like three times. I film with my phone. <laughs> um, you know why? Somebody told me a long time ago, whatever it is, take the guesswork out of it. Use what you have. Don't make it this elaborate setup. I, I have a whole bunch of lights and I usually, I usually just open my windows. I sit here with my little uh, like bulletin board backdrop. I have, if I'm shooting overhead, I, I have like a little clamp that goes over my desk. I can clamp my phone in it, shoot overhead, flip it around, film myself. And in like 15 minutes, it's uploaded to my computer. I can go edit it on iMovie and I can actually get the content out. And that's, to me, that is 90% of it is taking away those hurdles that hold you up. I don't really get out my lighting very often anymore. I just film at a bright window during the, in the afternoon when the light is the best for me. Turn on my iPhone. Um, I have upgraded my headphones. I have some Rode Wireless Go headphones. But, um, yep, I, I really keep it simple. I'm probably like the most ro rogue, dumbed down version you've had on here. <laughs> oh, I bet you're, oh, you're fine. You're perfectly <laughs> acceptable, but you're doing works and that's what matters most. So I love that. And like I said, we're here to find out how people are creating because again, you're having success with what you have. So we want to know what you're doing and, and demystifying the need for fancy gear.
Yeah, take so. it out and just use what you have. The cameras on these phones, I mean, look at these. And this isn't even the, the newest one. There's one that's better than this that just came out. The cameras are insane. And it's like, well, okay, I look great on here. I'll be I'll be fine. They can live with that. <laughs> I, I can live with it. They can deal with it. So, yeah, just um, whatever is going to keep you from from hold it, hold you up, get rid of it. It's not helping you. Love that. Who are some of your favorite female YouTube creators? Okay. I love watching content like this. That is, um, really women helping women grow bi their businesses. So I love Catherine Manning, Jessica Stansberry. I actually made a little list. Sunny Leonard Doozy. Um, Amy Landino, and now I'm a huge fan of all-in-one social media. I've binged your, I binged like two hours of your content last night, and I'm, I still have a whole bunch more in my watch file. Well, that's so nice. They appreciate that. <laughs> you have great, you have great content. Just, I hope that you weren't too overwhelmed. Social media is a lot more work than people want to give it credit for. So, I just... well, you know what? You really do a great job of. Um, sifting through the minefield and that's what i liked about your youtube content was you were saying okay you're not going to be everything to everybody and you don't have to be on every platform just pick the ones that work for you and that's what i really had made a decision on and that's one of the reasons why i'm on youtube it's like you know what i felt like i'm on a hamster wheel on instagram like they just keep adding layers reels tv uh, videos. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, it wasn't really resonating with my audience. I wasn't getting the feedback or the sales. And so my audience is on Facebook and on YouTube and Pinterest. And that's where I tend to play. Well, that's still great. And I guess that's what you know, like knowing your audience allows for you to know what content you should be making, what they're going to help, what they're going to like, how you can be there for them and build that community of raving fans that love and support you and are going to, and that you can actually help. So speaking of communities and stuff, who is a company or creator that you would love to collaborate with? Oh, you know what? I was listening to your Hope Scope one and you asked for that. I'm like, I don't know, because I, I've been in this industry so long. I know all of the yarn companies out there. Um, and when I was, I, I know this would ruin my algorithm, but I would love to partner with Mr. Beast in some way. <laughs> I, I submitted my name. I would want to work with him, but I know he'd be like, no, no, I would not think, my audience. <laughs> I would think you would just need to like, okay, I'm going to have Noble Knits knit me like the world's largest something yes. or other. Like you'd have to organize it, like make a, a house knit cozy for a home you know make the world's <laughs> largest house blanket or something yeah. you know i think that if you could organize that he would get on board with it in some way yeah. <laughs> so give it to charity we're gonna we're gonna warm all of the homeless people in north carolina with one giant blanket <laughs> you know that kind of a thing i think he would do that so <laughs> but um and i also said what is your favorite video that you have made so far well, recently I did one. Well, we talked about the one which I did, which was um, five tools I don't use. But I also did one recently 
which was a um, college video, like what to knit for somebody heading off to college. Because um, a lot of times, I, like I said, my audience is very much mothers and grandmothers. And there's a kind of a rite of passage when they have a grandchild or child heading off to school that they make something really special for them. My grandma knitted us all Afghans. And um, sometimes what they knit is not really what the kids want. You know, they're like, thanks, grandma. It's not really, you know, don't make <laughs> not that. Working. So what we did, I, I actually collaborated with a yarn company and a notions company who put together this little guide. <clears throat> and we pulled together all the college colors, all, a whole list of projects that you could knit for college kids that they're actually going to like and want mm -hmm. and wear. And there were like um, from sweaters to Afghans to headbands, uh, you know, all kinds of fun projects that they could make. And it was a really um, fun video to pull together. And I really enjoyed collaborating with my two friends on this project. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Well, you have talked and shared so much great information. How can we follow you on the YouTubes? On um, Noble Knits. My last name is Queen. So my last name is based on that, you know, Noble Knits. So that's how you can find me. Love it. And do you think there's room on YouTube for new creators? Oh, my God. Absolutely. In fact, one of the biggest tests is if you go on and you see a lot of people in that niche, like there might be a lot of people in the crafting niche, it means that there's room for you and that you have a voice and you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so grateful for your time, for your story, for all the great things that you're doing to make the world a better place. Likewise. You, Nancy, and everyone listening are possibly amazing. Thank you so much. Until next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Women of YouTube podcast. We would love to know what you thought about this latest episode. So make sure to tag us with hashtag Women of YouTube with your thoughts.